Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, high atop the radio world in the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. And we welcome all of our affiliates on the Barbecue Radio or the Barbecue Nation Radio Network. Um, we have got an old friend of ours today, Stephen Reichlin. And you know him from Barbecue University. And how many books is it now, 17? Uh, it's actually 31. But 31. Oh, I yeah. must have missed a page. <laughs> so anyway we've got uh steven with us this week um our music is from pentatonics and uh this portion of barbecue nation is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef from the heart of the pacific northwest it's beef you can feel good about painted hills natural beef all right let's get to it your new book the brisket chronicles i like that i didn't even tell my wife because you know my wife was a big fan of the riddick chronicles and stuff and i thought she might get confused and steal the book from me but um <laughs> this is uh this is a, a very in-depth uh but yet not encyclopedic book and i and i really enjoyed reading it and uh, looking at it so let's do some of the basic stuff first Stephen. how long did it take you to put it together and what prompted you to do that well, I suppose it took about a year from start to finish to write and photograph and test the book. But in fact, I mean, as you can see, if you read through it, uh, I've really been working on it my whole life. Yeah. And by that, I mean, you know, you can read about the brisket I grew up on, uh, the brisket I ate when I was a student in Paris, when I was in Germany, brisket uh, soup that I ate when I was a correspondent for National Geographic Traveler in Vietnam. Uh, and on and on it goes. It really is a it's a meat that has been a part of my life, uh, my whole uh, for my whole life. Sure. And one of the reasons, I mean, I wrote it for many reasons. You know, first of all, I think this is the brisket moment, uh, which uh, the new age of brisket, the dawn of brisket, was ushered in by Aaron Franklin of Franklin's Barbecue in Austin, Texas. But today, you find amazing world class barbecue brisket. Uh, almost everywhere in the United States and beyond. I mean, the short list would include uh, Billy Gurney at Hometown Barbecue in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, brisket, huh? Yep. yep. Uh, uh, Charleston, uh, North uh, South Carolina with John Lewis, uh, uh, the restaurant Smoke, and uh, uh, Green Street Smoke Meats in Chicago, and on and on. So, I mean, barbecue brisket is everywhere. Uh, and I thought it would be interesting for me, who, you know, for the last 15 years has primarily written about uh, grilling and smoking outdoors, to tackle a meat that, yes, is beloved by barbecuers and represents a challenge to barbecuers everywhere, but is also uh, cooked indoor with, indoors with great gusto. You can braise it, you can stew it, you can boil it, and it's amazing however you cook it. Well, 
I was reading uh, Antoinette's recipe there, and mm-hmm. and I was going, yeah, yeah. I had uh, similar dishes, uh, although we, I was on the West Coast, but it's similar mm-hmm. dishes to that growing up. And uh, I just, it just, we're lucky kinda, guys, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We are. We're very lucky guys. And the other thing, what you were just talking a second ago, when you think of New York and Chicago, uh, Philly, wherever, you think of pastrami, corned beef, um, you know, sandwiches. I mean, that's kind of what you think of. And maybe on St. Patrick's Day or something, a corned beef and cabbage. But you never really thought about brisket until the last few years coming from those areas. And it's, you're right, they're phenomenal. And and you never really think of uh, the fact that without brisket, you know, you wouldn't have corned beef. You wouldn't have pastrami. Right. You wouldn't have Montreal smoked meat. So it's, um, you know, I call it an epic meat, and I really think epic is the word for it. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's somehow different than... Uh, than a pork shoulder. I mean, I can't imagine having written this book about pork shoulder. Although pork shoulder is great, but there's something about its crossover cuisine, the way it's deeply embedded in so many uh, ethnic cuisines, uh, the strong emotions that it engenders. I think that's what, that's why I wrote the Biscuit Chronicles, and that's what uh, makes the meat special. It is, and I'll I'll tell our listeners if you pick up a copy of Stephen's book, the the Brisket Chronicles, and just looking at the cover shot, if that doesn't make you hungry, then there's something wrong with you. And I don't care if you just ate ten pounds of something. That is such a succulent, lovely shot there. Oh, well, they all are in the book. Don't get me wrong, but that one is is really cool. I think because um, it you. shows so much of what we try to achieve with brisket you know it's got a nice Absolutely. bark on it it's it's sliced you've got some sliced kind of thick you got some sliced kind of thin it's still very juicy and now i'm going to leave the show now and go get something to eat and i'll be back okay yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know the feeling uh, but and by the way um you know i was there at the photo shoot i could not i could not lay claim to having been a stylist uh, we had a very talented stylist and photographer but um, this is a very personal project, like all of my projects, you know, sure. uh, I'm there for the testing, I'm there for the photography, uh, obviously I got it together, there's a lot of history, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of a, a book that means a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you said, you explain a lot of that going through the book or how, how it developed into being so meaningful for you. We've got, um, about three minutes left before we go to break. So something I wanted to, and I think we can get get it done in three three minutes. I want to talk about the anatomy of a brisket, packer versus flat. And, I, you know, depending on what part of the country you are, depending on what kind of cooker you use, uh, there's a lot of variables in what you choose. But would you please give our listening audience a thumbnail sketch of the difference between the two and why you maybe should select one over the other, uh, on what type of cooker you have. Absolutely. So first of all, if you think about a brisket, it is two muscles, actually. Uh, one called the pectoralis profundus. We know that is the flat. This is a lean rectangular sort of slightly rhomboidal, uh, shaped, uh, piece of meat. It's the one that kind of nestles closer to the rib cage. The brisket, it's a, 
muscle from the chest of the steer, it's actually what holds the steer up and what enables it to move. So it's very well exercised, which makes it simultaneously very favorable and also uh, very tough when it's in. Uh, atop that, when you buy it, but actually beneath it on the steer is what's called the pectoralis superficialis. We know that as the point of the deco, and that's the fatty piece. Um, it's uh, sort of raises to a point, which is why it's called a point. It kind of looks a little bit like a mountain to look at it. Mm-hmm. This is the point that this is the piece that's very generously modeled. Now, flat is what you typically find at the supermarket. It requires its own set of techniques for cooking. Uh, point is uh, what you cook if you know it really bucks up. And together they form the pepper biscuit, which is what brisket is if you happen to live in Texas. And you can find that as supermarket in Texas. I call it the big kahuna or the uh, Mount Everest uh, brisket or barbecue because when you can nail smoking a whole pack of brisket, you can cook just about anything. Sure. Now, I, like you, have a multitude of mach- machines, cookers, barbecues, whatever you want to call them. People call them different things. So I don't have a trouble selecting what I'm going to cook my brisket on. But if you're at home and you are limited to a particular type of cooker, you have to be wise in your choice. So uh, we're going to take a break right now. No, we're not. I, I've got two different time clocks in this new studio. So that's why I'm looking at it, Stephen. We've got about a minute. So um, what what were your recommendations for, say, brisket flats for people as far as what they can cook on? Well, brisket flat, I mean, basically you need something that burns either wood or charcoal. And you really can't do a brisket on a gas grill uh, except with two exceptions, which we can go into uh, later when we talk about brisket in a hurry. It's in a funny way, you know, sort of flies in the face of uh, everything you think you know about brisket. Because tradition calls for you to cook brisket and slow, right? Sure. Okay. Uh, but so we're, you know, we're in the realm of wooden charcoal burners, and that can be everything from a kettle grill to a weather smoky mountain, which is a water smoker. Uh, the pros use uh, what are called stick burners, those big offset barrel smokers. Um, you can smoke a brisket in a ceramic uh, Komodo style cooker, like a big green egg. Uh, some people like pellet grills for smoking briskets. Some people like uh, uh, electric smokers, but there must be some element of smoke and and uh, wood. Sounds good to me. And uh, it's going to sound good to everybody when they look at this book. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Stephen Reichlin and talk some more about his new book, The Brisket Chronicles, on Barbecue Nation, right after this. Don't go away. Hello, darkness, my friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. Left its seeds while I was sleeping In the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turn my collar to the 
of silence And in my naked light I saw Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Wise men say only fools Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and today we've got the kind of the king of all barbecue book authors and TV show, Stephen Reichlin, with us. Uh, his new book, The Brisket Chronicles, How to Barbecue, Braise, Smoke, and Cure the World's Most Epic Cut of Meat. Um, I think I think he's, uh, I think you're on to something there, buddy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, also, um, real quickly, if you'd like to email us, it's bbq at salempdx.com, S-A-L-E-M-P-D-X.com, and uh, we will get uh, right back to you on that whatever your questions are there. But the big thing is when you're talking about brisket um, and cooking brisket, and we were talking about, you know, different styles of cooking, different cookers, you know, we've all got offset. We've all got charcoal. We've, you know, some people have pellets. Pellets are very big up in our neck of the woods here, but they're also very big uh, kind of across the country anymore. Um, it can be a tough decision if people aren't sure and you point out in your book like if you go spend 50 or 100 dollars on a nice brisket you don't want to ruin it you you want to kind of take care and do it properly that's right so put away your gas grill and and go borrow a neighbor for three applications yeah we'll get to those right 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 so um in, in doing that, though, because, you know, they have apparatuses now for gas grills that they can you can add smoke, cold smokers and, and things like that. But really, traditionalists might kind of turn up their nose at using a gas grill. But let's talk about those three applications now. Well, OK, so uh, I have a little phrase that uh, I call brisket and hurry. And there are actually three recipes in the book that can be cooked in 10 minutes or less. There's actually one brisket uh, recipe in the book that you can cook in one minute or less. And if you ever want to make a bar bet, you know, with a bunch of, uh, we made a bar with a lot of barbecue guys, say, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that I can cook a brisket from start to finish in one minute. And uh, people will surely bet you because, well, it's well, you know, most people are thinking 10, 12, 14 hours. But in Korea, they have a very interesting way of handling brisket. So, they take the brisket, both point and, uh, and flat together, and they freeze it hard as a rock in the freezer. The next day, they slice it thin as paper on a meat slicer. And because those slices are so thin, you can actually cook them on a hibachi for 30 seconds per side. And that's all the cooking you need to do. And it's an absolutely amazing, wonderful way to experience brisket because you know, barbecue brisket is fantastic, but it's all about the smoke and the spice and uh, and you taste the meat. But when you direct grill brisket the way the Koreans do, it's, it has such a different flavor. It's really about the immediacy and richness mm-hmm. and luscious mouthfeel of, uh, of a brisket cooked like a steak. Of course, you can only do it when you freeze it and then you slice it. By the way, if you don't own a meat slicer, uh, if you cut those... The, 
brisket and the chunks that will fit in the feed tube of your food processor. Uh, it's very easy to finish like the, um, the brisket and the food processor using the slicing. Oh, there you go. Well, you can't use mine because I blew mine up about a week ago. I got to get a new one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, it's, it was, believe me, it had a lot of use on it and it, Okay. It went to the happy hunting ground for that. Um, but anyway, like, yeah. you know, I mean, so this is, for me, this is like, this is absolutely fascinating. It, uh, it's almost and, like. And, and the, way it, the way it's served is really interesting, too, because, you know, it's, 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 forget about the, uh, the slices of factory white bread. Uh, it is, you lay it on a lettuce leaf, you spread the lettuce leaf with chili jam, uh, served with diced cucumbers, shredded carrots, sure. uh, lettuce, uh, you got the lettuce leaf, uh, Korean pickles. So you're looking at something that, take a bite, it's probably 75% vegetable, 25% meat, that meat is luscious, you're dipping it in fiery, you know, in spicy condiments. I like to call it uh, biscuit healthy. I like that. I like that a lot. I really do. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, it almost sounds like it's kind of a quick, quick cook carpaccio or something like that. Is it about the same thickness? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You could say that. It's a carpaccio cord is, is made with these tender ones, so it's intrinsically tender. Whereas uh, this biscuit, you know, I mean, when you're using biscuit, you're using one of the toughest cuts of uh, meat on the steer. Sure. That's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. Yeah, well, glad I could help. In your book, you've got... Um, the tale of two briskets and the tale of two cities. And I actually said that backwards. You've got Austin versus Kansas city. And you're talking about not just the meat, but the way they cook it and prepare it. You know, I think when most people think about brisket, they kind of think Texas, but Kansas city's right there too. I mean, it's geographically, it's not that far, but as far as cooking brisket and stuff, but yet they're, they couldn't be more different in a certain ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and the Kansas citizens have been at serving brisket a long time, maybe even longer than Texans. We'll get into that in a minute. But they take a very different approach. So in Texas, it's the whole pack of brisket. It's smoked for a long time. Uh, it's, it, it, you serve the whole pack of brisket. You serve the, uh, both the lean flat and the fatty points. In Kansas City, what they have taken to doing is they separate the points from the flat. They uh, barbecue the flat, but they take it only to about 185 degrees instead of 205 degrees. So it remains quite firm so that you can put it on a meat slicer and slice it paper thin, then pile that on a uh, better toasted bun with sweet smoky barbecue sauce. So that is Kansas City barbecue. Right. Then they take the point, they dice it up, they barbecue it with sweet smoky barbecue sauce, and they make something that sort of you might call meat candy. Right. And those are known as burnt uh, ends. And they're very different than the original burnt ends. The original burnt ends, the ones that Calvin Trillin waxed Lapsodica about in his book, Alice Let's Eat, uh, were really at Arthur, Arthur Bryant's was the uh, place, a legendary barbecue place. And it would be the parts of the biscuit, the, the brisket, that were too burnt, uh, too black, too kind of charred to serve uh, a paying guest. So, right. Uh, Arthur Bryant would trim those off, and then instead of throwing the trimmings out, we gave them to people. And there's still a couple places that do it, not in Kansas City, but in Texas. Uh, Aaron Franklin will serve burnt ends like that to the first couple people in, in line. Uh, Wayne Mueller at Louis Mueller's uh, will serve burnt ends like that. But the burnt end in Kansas City is a commercial product, and I mean, they've taken it so far as to 
you get burnt ends of chicken and burnt ends of sausage, which <laughs> neither really are burnt ends at all. But, you know, hey, I mean, I, I think it's a business decision. You know, uh, they're, they're getting... They're making a biscuit pay twice. Absolutely. We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation. We're going to be back with Steve Reichlin and the Brisket Chronicles right after this. Don't go away. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Jolene, 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 Jolene. I'm begging of you, please don't take my man. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. We're talking with Stephen Reichlin and the Brisket Chronicles, his new book that's out right now. And I know you can go to his website and look at it, but you can I'm sure you can probably also get it on Amazon and some of the better bookstores around. And again, it's called The Brisket Chronicles. This portion of uh, Barbecue Nation is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. From the heart of the Pacific Northwest comes a beef product you can feel real good about. And I can tell you I've eaten enough of that beef and I always feel real good about it. So there you go. Um, Next time you come up and we have some time, I'll I'll uh, either prepare myself or take you to a restaurant that serves Painted Hills. I think you'll like it, Stephen. It's good. Yeah, it great place. You're not going to make it up here this summer, are you? Nah, not on the agenda, not on the books this time, but never say never. Well, that's true. Well, you've got close connections here in Portland. As I know people have listened to you on this show before and that have read your bio and history but you went to reed college here you worked in a deli here and i worked at auto's deli that's right yeah so you have a close connection to the pacific northwest i do i love the pacific northwest i try and get there anytime i can there you go uh let's get back to talking about uh, the brisket chronicles here one of the things you one of the sections you wrote in there and you were talking about uh two cooks a double cook, if you will. That's probably a little unusual for people. Um, you know, they, they cook it to a certain place and temperature, and then they bring it out and they wrap it and they put it back in and they do all these things to it. Would you kind of go through that process for our listeners? Yeah. So you can think of it this way. Let's say if you're cooking your brisket uh, for 12 hours, you know, which is typical for a 15 pound packer brisket. Uh, so Roughly the first six to eight hours, that's what I call the first cook. During that process, you're shedding the bark. You start the process of converting the collagen into gelatin, the tough stuff into tender stuff, in other words. You start the process of rendering the fat. And you take your brisket up to about 165 degrees. One thing that will happen along the way is the infamous stall. That is, uh, you reach about 140 degrees and the temperature will seem to plateau or even dip slightly. Um, what is happening is the uh, liquid on top of the brisket is evaporating, actually cooling the brisket off in your smoker. Just keep going because as night turns today, your brisket will, the temperature will start to rise, your brisket will cook. At the end of that first book, you take your brisket out, you wrap it in unlined butcher paper, and you return it to the smoker. Now, at that point, once it's wrapped, you're, you're not getting so much smoke flavor anymore. Uh, but what the butcher paper does, it seals in moisture and juiciness while allowing the steam to escape so that your brisket continues to roast rather than steam. makes it easier to move the brisket. 
Uh, and it just is a it's just a good practice for kind of seasoning and flavor. That second phase uh, lasts roughly two to four hours, and at that point, we'll take your biscuit up to about 200 to 205 degrees. That's the Texas, Texas temperature, not the Kansas City temperature. Uh huh. And now, is that is that the one? I know the answer to this, but I'm the radio host, so I've got to ask you intriguing questions. Is that the one where you hold the brisket and it bends over? On each side? Well, that's, there are actually four chests. So, you know, the most accurate is the instant read thermometer. Sure. For 200 to 205. The uh, next um, uh, test, uh, I call it the bend test. You put your hand, a gloved hand, under it, and sort of the ends will droop like that. Mustache, you grab it by the ends, and the middle will droop. Or the third is called the jello test. You grab one and shake it, and it'll sort of wiggle like uh, jiggle. Like uh, beefy jello, and then there's the chopstick test, wherein you can insert a chopstick and it'll actually go right through the meat. I've done that before, but then I just pick it up and eat it. I don't. I don't. Well, there you go. You know, I don't waste time putting it back on because, uh-huh. um, you know, to me temperatures are temperatures recommendations are guidelines. So that's the way. Well, I, all of this is a guideline. Yeah. You know. Um, you interview all the brisket greats, uh, Aaron Franklin, Billy Durney, uh, John Lewis, et cetera. Right. And they will all say, we never, we don't even own a meat thermometer. We never use a meat thermometer. I'm not sure that's a hundred percent true actually, but I mean, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Yep. Uh, I think the point you're trying to make is they're using visual tactile, uh, oral and, uh, and even uh, odiferous cues to right. tell the biscuit. But, but you know, you got to start somewhere. When you write a cookbook, you want to give people as much information as possible. Well, and you want to get them information that's that's like you say, accurate. And if they're new to the brisket world, if they're new to the brisket game, um, yeah. you know, you couldn't very well recommend. Well, just do it by sight and smell, and you'll be fine. You know, that's right. probably not very good information there. Um, well, I think, you know, I, I think what you do is you use all of those. And, you know, I did a panel discussion with uh, Billy Gurney and Will Horowitz, who to me makes the greatest pastrami in the country at Harry United. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, Gurney said something really interesting. He said, brisket is the one thing that every morning, even though I've done thousands, tens of thousands of briskets, I wake up with a kind of a butterflies in my stomach and I wonder, is this batch going to work or not? And I think the idea here is that, you know, brisket is extremely fussy and finicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can, you know, it's not pork shoulder. You can, you know, you can fire some fire a rocket at it. You can't kill it. But a brisket, <laughs> you got to, you got to kind of get it to the right temp and pull it at the right time. It's much more temperamental. It is. It is. Well, cattle are a little more temperamental than pigs. So I can just tell you that it's inherent in it. So exactly. <laughs> do that. One thing we didn't exactly. cover in uh, the very uh, first segment when we were talking about the 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 two types of, uh, you know, flat or um, uh, full packer is we didn't talk about trimming. And I, and I wanted to get to that with you talking about trimming that because a lot of times if you buy a flat at a grocery store, there's not a lot of trimming left to do, if any, depending on where you buy it. But when you sure. buy when you buy a packer, you've got some work to do. Yeah, you do. And, you know, basic, uh, I mean, I watched, I attended something called Camp Brisket at Texas A&M University's 
uh, meat science department. Mm-hmm. That's what it got me, you know, that gave me the path to follow for this book. Um, and Aaron Franklin spent an hour showing how, demonstrating how to trim a brisket. But here are the two basic rules. You want to take off all but a quarter of an inch of fat all over. Uh, I actually also cut the fat out between the point and the uh, flat uh-huh. on the side of the brisket. But if you have to err one way or the other, always err on the side of leaving too much fat, not taking too much, taking, leaving too little fat. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, okay, I- so that's. Yeah, go ahead. That's the, first, that's the first point. And then the second point that um, I want to make with regards to trimming is there are several pieces of flat, particularly if you get a big brisket, that kind of dwindle down to about a half an inch thick, and uh, they're usually found at the corners. And those are just, they're, they're not going to be worth anything. They're going to burn in the process of the cook. So I suggest cooking, cutting those off. You're looking for a brisket with rounded corners. Aaron Franklin speaks often about uh, uh, an aerodynamic brisket. You know, it looks almost like an airstream, so the airflow goes over it easily. Sure. Well, that makes perfect sense. And and uh, you know, I'm always I'm always careful when I'm doing something for TV. I usually just use the flat one because it mm-hmm. saves time and the prep, and it's easier for people to identify with if they're going to the grocery store but if we're having a fourth of july party or something like that then i'll use the packer and trim it up right and take the mm-hmm. take the longer road and it's more okay. fun too so Absolutely. it is more fun um when you talk about wood for woods for your wood cookers wood smokers whatever you've got there what's one or two things that people should be really cognizant of uh, as far as the quality of wood or the, uh, the dryness or the moisture in it. And, um, especially if they're new to the game. Well, I mean, two things, first of all, remember that, uh, you want to use seasoned wood, not green wood. And that means wood that's been left outside or inside or put in a kiln to dry out because wet wood, damp wood, green wood will produce a kind of acrid smoke. Um, the second thing is you want to use a hardwood. Then you know, uh, oceans of ink have been spilled about the uh, superiority of oak versus hickory or alder sure. versus maple. You know, the fact is that pitmasters used the, the wood that grew in their neighborhood. And uh, uh, a lot of people talk about sort of starting in cherry and finishing with apple, et cetera, et cetera. I've done blind test after blind test, and uh, I have found the wood to be pretty indistinguishable, with the exception of mesquite, which has a kind of a oily, bitter flavor. So it's a little bit different. That's right. And you don't want to get a mesquite thorn stuck in your thumb, I can tell you that. Before we get out of here, I want to give you a little news. Last week, the U.S. Department of Agriculture was given an additional $1 billion to its program redirecting surplus food from farmers to families in needs. The Farmers to Family Food Box program purchases food directly from farmers who typically would be supplying restaurants, most of which are now shut down or operating at well-reduced capacity. The program delivers the redirected food to millions of Americans struggling to make ends meet as a result of furloughs and joblessness caused by the pandemic. Uh, In July, Reuters reported that the government had not delivered its promised amount of food by the end of June as part of a roughly $3 billion program that was announced back in April. The latest infusion of funds helps meet the stated goals 
by the USDA, which plans to finish purchasing the roughly $2.7 billion worth of food by September, which we are in right now. Uh, the White House said that the program had delivered more than 70 million boxes of food to, to food banks and other nonprofit organizations to date. Even though it's getting closer to meeting its objectives, the program has been criticized by food banks, market analysts, and some senators, of course, who say the contracts were often given to inexperienced vendors who could not source and deliver the food efficiently. We'll be back with more Steve Reichlin right after this. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Everybody, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, and we're talking with Stephen Reichlin today with his new book, The Brisket Chronicles. Uh, be hungry and be prepared because it's going to make you want to trot out to the store and buy a brisket or two and and try your hand at this uh, if you're not a big practitioner of that. I can tell you that. Um, it's it's delightful, this book. A couple of things, Stephen, I wanted to ask you about. Your favorite style, you go over a lot of different styles of cooking uh, briskets in the book. And, you know, the ultimate uh, idea is to get it, uh, you know, perfect and serve it. But what is your favorite style? Well, I think barbecue is my favorite style of brisket. Um, you know, no, no doubt about that. Yeah. But that being said, you know, I love a braised brisket. I actually love a stewed brisket. Uh, you know, I spent half the year in Miami, and a popular dish down in my neck of the woods down there is uh, something that is there too. What is called vaca frita, and it's thin strands of uh, braised brisket or boiled brisket that you shred into kind of hairpins and filaments, and then fry with sliced onions and garlic. That's uh, called vaca frita, fried cow, and it's a fantastic dish you find in Cuban restaurants. The other is you take a stewed brisket, shred it, not quite as finely, and then saute it with uh, red bell peppers, green bell peppers, tomatoes, onions, and cumin. You make something called roca vieja, which means old clothes. It means what? I'm sorry? Old old clothes. Oh, okay. Okay. It sounds delightful. Yeah. Oh, it's, you know, I mean... That's what I'm talking about. You know, it's just once you start in on this brisket thing, it just takes you all over the world. It takes you back through history. My God, the first brisket recipe way back in 1769, that was seven years before America was a country, uh, a recipe for brisket was published in an English cookbook. It was a really cool recipe. The brisket was, uh, you made holes in it at the tip of a knife. You stuffed some of the holes with bacon, some of the holes with oysters, things served in turf. And then you braise the whole thing in red wine. I mean, it, you know, you can imagine it very, in a very much in a modern context. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you change your taste or your style when you go from Florida up to Martha's Vineyards for your summer break? Well, not in terms of my brisket, but, you know, when we're in the vineyard, you know, we, uh, we eat a lot more New Englandy. Uh, we, uh, we eat a lot of seafood up here. Uh, 
but, I mean, gosh, that's been the last. Uh, we've been here for three days now, and uh, we've had halibut. We've had base scallops, <laughs> which are just beautiful. I mean, I've sort just tonight, you know, our seafood is just fantastic. Uh, ramps are a big deal up here. Ramps are a, um, a, um, uh, a wild garlic, and we actually uh, kind of fried those last night and sprinkled them on our chowder, and that was amazing. Oh, man. Okay, um, let's see. It's going to take me uh, two days to get a reservation, so I will see you on Saturday at the vineyard there, and then we can yeah, right, right. we can go over that. Well, I won't be here. I'll be there, unfortunately. I'm uh, I'm headed out to uh, on book tour again. So, in the next week, let's see. I'm going to be in Boston, Kansas City, Wichita, Chicago, Milwaukee, Denver, and Colorado Springs. So, if you ever envy day, and also on book tour, don't because it's pretty busy. There you go. Well, um, a lot of people now are listening to the show in those markets, so um, you'll get a little bump from that, I hope. Your um, yeah. couple of your uh, recipes here that we want to talk about very quickly, and we'll talk about it in the after hours segment, brisket and bacon and brisket butter. So pick one, and we can probably finish that before we have to wrap the regular show, and then we'll pick it up on the after hours. You bet. Well, brisket and bacon have a natural affinity. I suppose it's the fat and salt and uh, smoke. Uh, and a couple of applications. When I cook a brisket flat, I cook it in a foil pan to keep that lean bottom from drying out. I drape the top of uh, bacon, strips the bacon, uh, to give a little extra fat, and that bacon uh, fat renders and melts into the meat as it cooks. So even though the fat is normally very lean, this comes out moist and luscious. Uh, then there's a brisket bite, which is a recipe I actually picked up in St. Louis. Uh, barbecued brisket wrapped in bacon, and then it can either be can either be deep fried or it can be uh, it can be smoked. But um, that's kind of a fun thing. Now brisket butter. So one time I uh, I you know depending on the smoker, I'll often put a drip pan under the brisket to catch to catch the extra fat. Sure. One time I. Took some of that fat and let it set up in the refrigerator overnight, and then kind of got hard like butter, but spreadable like chicken fat. And then uh, the next day, we spread that on grilled bread. Uh, we fried eggs in it, and it was, you know, just about the most amazing substance you'll ever taste. <laughs> Sounds like it. We're going to wrap up the regular show here. Stephen uh, Reichland, thanks for being here with uh, the Brisket Chronicles and how to barbecue braise, smoke, and cure. Uh, the world's most epic cut of meat. And I recommend this. Um, I've always recommended all of Stephen's books, but it's really good. It's a lot of fun. There's some gorgeous photography and great recipes in it. And uh, Stephen, I'm going to invite you to stick around for the after hours segment. But uh, as far as the regular radio, we've got a call today here. You got it. I'll be talking to you. All right. Before we get out of here this week, I wanted to share a little more ag news with you. After pressure from Congress, the Agricultural Department uh, reported last week that it would permit schools to offer free breakfast and lunch to any child or teenager until the end of the year. The move was commended by hunger advocates for keeping children at need fed during the pandemic. The USDA decision was a slight reversal, as the department had previously said that when the school year began, districts would only be required to serve meals to students enrolled in school and would charge students who failed to qualify for the free reduced free or reduced meal program. In the spring, when schools were first shut down, the Ag Department approved districts to give out subsidized to-go meals to any child or teenager under the age of 19. 
The change was meant to ease accessibility of meals to low-income children during the lockdown. Some districts have offered meals at curbside pickup, while others have actually delivered at school bus stops or directly to the students' homes. Uh, we'll be back uh, next hour with Jamie Proviance for those of you who uh, get the second hour. And for those of you who don't, we'll be back next week with another edition of Barbecue Nation. Take care, everybody. Produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.